from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Thanks, Bethany. Sadly, it's been about 70 years since the closest thing we had to revival happened in this country with the 1954 Billy Graham Haringey Crusade. By the first weekend of that crusade, the arena in Haringey was full at least half an hour before the service was due to start. Crowds of 35,000 people would fill it every night and queue outside, desperate to hear. It continued that way for the whole three months of the crusade, and the total attendance across the period was over two million. As the period drew to an end after three months, it was clear that the Haringey Arena was too small for the final event, and instead Wembley Stadium was booked. But it soon became clear that that was also far too small, and they eventually held two final meetings, one at the White City Stadium in West London for 65,000 people, and the other at Wembley for 100,000 in the stands, and 22,000 sitting on the turf. Among the reported 40,000 conversions that occurred during that three-month period, there were some amazing stories of people coming to Christ. And like the undertaker who was converted as Billy Graham preached on the raising of Lazarus, and the thief uh, who got converted, handing back the wallet he had just stolen from the man sitting next to him. Or the dedicated communist Charles Potter, who didn't like Americans and just went out of interest. But after hearing Billy Graham preach, he wrote to his local Communist Party chairman, due to a deep and unsatisfied rest within, I've decided to resign from the Communist Party and to rejoin the Christian church. I feel belief in Jesus Christ to be incompatible with membership of the Communist Party. And so on with many such stories. Something of the atmosphere of that exciting three months is found in our passage today. Uh, Unsurprisingly, given it is the progenitor of not just that, but every other revival meeting that's happened in the church's history. We're looking uh, for a brief series at Acts chapter 2 on our evening services uh, in the weeks that are following Pentecost Sunday, given that was slightly overshadowed by a certain platinum jubilee that occurred. Uh, We're going to spend a few weeks just looking at this passage that speaks, of course, of that 
Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down. And exciting as Haringey was, I think we'll see, having looked at this, that that first revival was much more exciting. In this first little chunk of chapter 2, we're going to see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit uh, as he comes on the apostles, the miracle of speech in other languages on that day, and the movement of the gospel among all nations. Firstly, then, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where the apostles were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had promised uh, only weeks before, at that last supper before his crucifixion, that this was going to happen. And he had told the apostles, actually, it's better, better for you that I go because then the helper will come, I'll send him. That, of course, a little point of distinction that we just read in the Nicene Creeds, that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit between us and the Orthodox or Eastern churches. Uh, We believe in Jesus sending the Holy Spirit, not just God the Father. He said it would be far better for us to have the Spirit than just him, because for one thing, the Spirit is at work in many places around the world, whereas Jesus in bodily form was only present in one place. And likewise, The Spirit dwells in us and changes us as Christians. That's the big difference that this event that we're reading here in Acts chapter 2 makes with former ages, that we now have the Holy Spirit. Noah, Abraham, Moses, Ruth, David, Isaiah, Daniel, none of these figures had the Holy Spirit in their heart in the same way. Yes, they were part of God's people in the Old Testament, but they had no transformation by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit may have been on them for particular purposes and particular tasks at different times, but he wasn't dwelling in them to transform their hearts. And so the problem of the human heart remained for them as much as for the rest of humanity, the problem of sin. All those men and women, however much good they did, still sinned, and live with the effects in their hearts. But God had a final solution planned all the way through to that problem, one that would fix the problem forever. That is heart surgery by the Holy Spirit. And we now live in this bold new age of the spirits, this new epoch of humanity. And it was announced on this day that we're reading about in Acts chapter 2 with fireworks Jesus' sacrifice for sin on the cross was accompanied by physical signs in the earth, by the darkening of the skies in the middle of the day, by a great earthquake that tore the temple curtain in two. And it's no surprise that this similarly significant spiritual event, the coming of the Holy Spirit, is accompanied by physical signs. So you read in verse 2 of the rushing wind from heaven filling the whole house, and in verse 3 of what seems to be like tongues of fire separating and coming to rest on the apostles. Such significant events and sounds and sights that all of Jerusalem came out to come and see what was going on. Here in Little Shelford, we've been hearing recently, as I'm sure we have in neighbouring villages, the fireworks from the May Balls in Cambridge going on. We've been trying to work out in our house which one is which. Uh, Is that one the John's fireworks we can hear, or is it perhaps the uh, King's fireworks, or is that the biggest one? Going on for 45 minutes must be 
the Trinity fireworks, and so on. And I'm sure many of the residents nearer into town in Cambridge have been coming out, out to their windows and seeing the sights and sounds, a little bit like Jerusalem turned out at Pentecost. God delivers on his promises in a big way. And it wasn't just for the 12 apostles that this Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came for all Christians. Most arrivals of the Holy Spirit are a little bit less spectacular than this first coming at Pentecost. Whenever any Christian becomes uh, a believer in God, in Christ, the Holy Spirit does come and live with them. They might not feel anything. We might be unlikely, in fact, to see any fireworks. But it's just as real that the Holy Spirit comes down. There is that one filling we have when we become Christians with the Holy Spirit. Many opportunities for refreshings in the Holy Spirit, but one filling when we become Christians. The heart of the Christian faith is a reconciliation with God our maker, from hostility and alienation with him to peace and adoption in Jesus' name. And the sign and the seal of that reconciliation is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because we are forgiven and given some of Jesus' righteousness, his goodness, God, as Holy Spirit, is able to come and dwell with us from day one. No waiting for death and resurrection and new creation. Right from the beginning, God is with us by his Spirit. And that all started at Pentecost. Praise God for that manifestation, that coming of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the miracle of Pentecost. The coming of the Holy Spirit was accompanied by miraculous gifts of foreign language proficiency. The apostles were speaking all sorts of languages that we see in verses 4 onwards. Uh, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears in our own native language? The world is still divided today, 2,000 years later, into many languages. There are well over 7,000 living languages still being spoken uh, around the world. Some of them quite small, only spoken by a few families, uh, but others uh, very large, spoken by thousands, millions, even hundreds of millions. One of the key divisions, of course, of the human race. Now, if you or I want to speak a foreign language and get to the heartbeats of somebody else's heart language, we need to put in lots of learning, lots of hours uh, on maybe one of these language apps or in a classroom. It's a painstaking task. Uh, I know very well that I spent nine years uh, taking French lessons, and I still only really have very rudimentary French language skills, sadly. The miracle of Pentecost, by contrast, was instantaneous proficiency in these other languages. Not just to awkwardly order a coffee when on holiday, as I sometimes do in France, but sufficient to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to the hearts of all their hearers. In our Yikes, sorry, that was completely unexpected. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, Simon. Apologies. In our, in our particular environments, uh, in, in moments in the uh, world at the moment, 
we come across many attitudes about the world, all that matters being matter. And we're okay with Jesus doing miracles, and that's kind of rationalizable for us, that God incarnate would do miracles. But we struggle a little bit more sometimes with the apostles performing miracles. Uh, but that's exactly what they were doing here, a miracle at the hands of the apostles. Miracles did accompany the growth of the gospel. They authenticated the work of the apostles. Their acts were Jesus' acts. Their message was Jesus' message. If we're buying a product or a service today, we look for authenticating marks uh, to make sure that what we're buying, what we're investing in, is okay. If we're trying to find a workman, we look for him on Trustpilot. If we're trying to find a hotel or a uh, holiday destination, we look for it on TripAdvisor, perhaps. Looking for an ethical coffee, look for that little fair trade symbol. Uh, checking for the right sort of ketchup, we'll make sure it's Heinz. Maybe if we're making sure our legal advice is right, make sure the solicitor is actually registered with the law society. Well, the authenticating sign here for the Pentecost, that these apostles are the real deal, is this miracle. Yes, they are authenticated. They are doing the work of Jesus. Now, sometimes such miracles may occur today, especially in pioneering missionary circumstances. But we can't assume that they will do. Acts, the book of Acts, is a record of what did happen in the early church, not a blueprint for what will happen in every church. And many Christian movements get off on the wrong foot by getting that the wrong way around and thinking of Acts uncritically as a mandate rather than as a record. There are some mandates within Acts, but in general, its literary type is narrative history. So we can praise God for what did happen without assuming that it will be the same as what does happen in the future. And when we read about this miracle of tongues at Pentecost, we shouldn't presume that we likewise, when we want to take the gospel to other nations, will instantaneously, if we just pray hard enough, be given the gift of tongues. It's much more likely that we'll have to work hard at it, as indeed some of our mission partners around the world have been doing. This is especially so given that actually there are no apostles around today. The church was at a putative stage in these early chapters of Acts, and it makes sense that the apostles were given authenticating signs for their ministry to start off the church, to kickstart it. We today by contrast, have the wonderful gift, actually the wonderful standing miracle of the church's existence, don't we? The living evidence of Jesus' prophecies having come true in his kingdom parables. The mustard seed has become the greatest of all garden plants. The small rock has become the great mountain, and the small grain of yeast has leavened the entire loaf. And that's cause for all residents, not just of Jerusalem, but the world, to come out and to marvel, be amazed and astonished at the works of God. Manifestation, miracle, and thirdly, the movements that we see. The Holy Spirit came, giving the gift of tongues to begin a global movement of all nations. That wonderful list in uh, eight onwards. How is it that each of us hears our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome. 
both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. Home groups recently at All Saints have been looking at John's Gospel, and we've been reminded that it is a book of festivals. Jesus in John is rarely not at a festival in Jerusalem. There are three great festivals that were held at the time, Passover, Pentecost, also Shavuot, known as Shavuot, and Booths, known as Sukkot. And all the Jews, in theory, were supposed to go up to these festivals and celebrate in the temple uh, those events. Jesus, of course, was crucified at one of them, at Passover, and there's much significance to that in itself, a time when the city was busy with many Jews from all over the world. So likewise, 50 days later, at Pentecost, the second feast of the year, Jerusalem was busy with Jews from all over the world, from the entire diaspora, the entire spread of the Jews from across the Mediterranean world. That list we read tracks across from east to west all the nations of the known world in essentially the Roman Empire at the time and slightly beyond as well. And all these Jews would have headed home after the feast, back to the places they lived, the little communities they were involved with, uh, speaking the languages, not just Hebrew, but the languages of the places they were living because they were trying to trade with the people they were living among. And so messages could spread easily across the world after these great feast events in Jerusalem. One memorable event from my former line of work in law was the International Bar Association Conferences, which often happened in a nice London hotel. The IBA was a hothouse for networking of uh, lawyers from around the world and listening to practice seminars. And trust and estate lawyers would come from all over the world to these things, from the Cayman Islands to California, from Switzerland to Singapore, uh, BVI to Bahrain, Jersey to Jamaica, uh, Aruba to Australia. They'd descend on London and network furiously together, discussing holding structures and family partnerships and anti-avoidance legislation and great fun things like that, and busily exchanging business cards. Well, can you imagine the Holy Spirit unexpectedly coming down on an assembly, an international assembly, like that. And instead of them hearing in their own tongues the mighty works of trust law, hearing instead the mighty works of God, infinitely, believe me, more important than what what they would have been discussing. And what a moment it was, it was for God to choose to send the Holy Spirit down at that particular moment in Jerusalem. A double kickstart to the church. Firstly, the miraculous translation into other languages, but secondly, also the instant globalization of this Christian message. Because all those Jews went home and took the message they heard in their own languages to the communities they lived in and the people they lived among. And Acts, the book of Acts, goes on to chart the taking of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth in that mandate that Jesus laid down in the first chapter. We can imagine, almost, the interactions that might have happened as the apostles fanned out in the following years across the world, coming across these little communities of Jews scattered about the world in these different nations, saying to them, do you know the good news? Oh, yes, I did hear that on that feast at Pentecost, and I shared it with my neighbor as well. 
And so the church grew across the world right from the beginning. And in that way, also, we can note how the Jews were a blessing uh, to all the worlds. The gospel first came to them, came to them in Jerusalem, but then was transmitted through their dispersed communities to the world. It's very bad news for a cancer patient when their disease transmits itself across the body to other organs, when it metastasizes, when the cancer cells in one organ go to the bloodstream and spread elsewhere. The news that the cancer has done that is very often, sadly, the end of the road for a patient and time for palliative care. Well, it was equally bad news for Satan when he heard that the gospel had metastasized. It had spread from this one nation of the Jews suddenly to all nations, and his time was very much up. Well, by contrast for us, it's extremely good news that that did happen. Nothing now can stop the growth of the gospel. And of course, we see the fruits of that 2,000 years later in our churches now and how international the global church is. I was at a baptism this morning for two new godsons, both of whom are of Chinese ethnicity, in a, baptized in a church congregation which included Americans and Nigerians and Japanese and even a few British people and probably several more nationalities to boot who I didn't actually speak to on the day. Here in Little Shelford, we were reminded last week at our Mission Sunday of how important it is to be a globally focused, mission-focused church. We were encouraged by stories of missionaries working around the world who we support and encourage and pray for, who are doing, continuing that work of the gospel movement around the world. A work that was, of course, carried on by Billy Graham himself, who we started off with, who in his many crusades, which began with Haringey in 1954, went around the world with great fruit, taking the gospel to all nations. The manifestation, the Holy Spirit came and dwells with us. The miracle, there was a jump start to the church and the movement. We are part of a wonderful global family. Praise God. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, for Pentecost, that you came down by your Spirit and live with us now, who trust in you. We thank you for your gift to the apostles and the gospel that they took to all nations. Help us, Heavenly Father, as we strive to continue taking that gospel to our own nation and to the world. For Jesus' sake.